Father, we just thank you, Father, this last Wednesday of this sixth month, Lord. We are together here in your house. We want to thank you once again for your faithfulness and your goodness towards us, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. God is good. God is kind. God is merciful. God is compassionate towards his people. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. As we wait, Lord, we pray you will teach us once again. You will speak to us. You said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. Teach us tonight, Lord. You are the teacher. We are all students. We are still learning. We are still on the road. Our life always will be defined, oh Father, I pray, by what you teach us. Father, it is not enough that you teach us. You also give us understanding, Father. Because unless you give us understanding, we will not know, understand what you are teaching us. So this night, once again, we pray, teach us and give us understanding. And help us to obey and walk in your ways. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We continue from where uh, we've been looking at the past few Wednesdays, where Pastor Vijay also was talking about faithfulness. So we just look at two verses first, and then we will continue there. Matthew 25, familiar verses for us here. We have looked at it before. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler of over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then again in verse 23, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Like we say, six words that will define our eternity. Okay. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. If you look at what God has entrusted all of us in the light of eternity, what he wants to entrust into our hands, very few things. It's not so many things. Very few things. Okay. And the one who was entrusted with most things was Jesus. But he made those that huge burden as a very few things. Very clear. But the key point is this. The ultimate thing God is going to judge us is on this. Were we faithful? Were we faithful? The question is, like um, Monday we had a pastor's conference. The question is, is this. How do we measure success? How do we measure success? In Joshua chapter 1, you will see, God actually promises. And there's nobody here who does not want, doesn't want success. Everybody wants to prosper and be successful. But if you look at what God speaks to Joshua in chapter 1, first thing he tells is, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. And then in verse 7 and 8, 
he tells him, only be strong and be very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way. Now you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Okay. Now if you look at it, this is God's promise. In these two verses, God promises Joshua success. But if you look at for that success to come, that prosperity to come, God demands two things from Joshua and therefore from all of us. One thing is remain faithful. Remain faithful. Like I said to the pastors, faithfulness has two sides, two things important. One, if you go to verse 5, if you look at verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. You have to be faithful to this person. The person of God. You have to be faithful. You have to make this decision, Joshua, that all the days of your life, you will be faithful to me. Because faithful is not an abstract. You have to finally in your mind make up to whom will I be ultimately be faithful. It has to be one person. Faithful to God. Two, in verse 7 and 8, he is saying, do not turn to the left or to the right. Stick to the law that I have given. You must be faithful in how you do what I tell you. Faithful to the person of God and faithful to the ways of God. This is what actually means the seeking of righteousness. When God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else he will add, it is this. Be faithful to God, be faithful to his ways. Because the world measures success differently. Measures success differently. It will measure success in terms of profit, meaning how much do you earn? Any marriage proposal, the first thing or the second question or third question, how much does the boy make? Meaning ultimately if two proposals are there and they all look similar, but one boy makes 10, the other makes 12, you will put the dice on 12. How much do you earn? How much do you earn? Profit. Or the world defines success in terms of how much do you possess? So then the next thing, okay, they both earn the same 10 and 10, but he owns a car, he owns a scooter, so he possesses more. The dice goes on to possession. How much do you own? Or he earns 10, he earns 10, he has a car, he has a car, both models are the same, but he works in this company, he works in this company. In this company, he is assistant manager. In this company, he is manager. What is your title? How high in the ladder you are. That's how the world, world 
define success. Even in school, success is defined that way. Either it is on marks, or if it is on behavior, or class captain, school captain, whatever, whatever, and you love wearing it because you are telling the others, I am more successful than you. That's how the world. But God does not measure success that way at all. He does not measure success that way at all. In First Corinthians chapter 3, 6 and 7, this is how Paul puts it. He says, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. So neither the one he who plants is anything, nor he waters, but God who gives the increase. Okay. Meaning the only thing is that increase is from God. So he says, don't look at how much you earn, how much you own, or how high up in the ladder you are. You just have to be faithful to what God has called you to be. Ultimately, you will be judged only by one yardstick. Were you faithful? Are you faithful is the question. Will we be counted faithful on that day, whether as a young person or as an older person, will we be counted as being faithful to God, faithful to His ways? If you look at today, today, as a day, students, employees, pastors, whatever. The question, today's question is, were you faithful? Not were you successful. Were you faithful? That's the only question I have. Were you faithful to God who called you, who redeemed you, who saved you and calls us his own? Two, were we faithful in his ways? Because the reason, that's why I said, you have to have, be faithful to the person of God and you have to be faithful to his ways. Because there are many people in the world who will be able to say, I was faithful to my spouse. Though I was tempted many times. In my workplace. But he may not have been faithful in his business practices. Others could have incredible ethics. The practice of ethics is incredible. But they were unfaithful to their spouse. God doesn't count any of this as faithfulness. Because you have to look at were you faithful to God, then it suddenly realizes it starts affecting every area of your life. So the question is, how do I and you grow in our faithfulness to God? How do we grow in our faithfulness to God? To grow in faithfulness, this, this, is, this is something only for believers, because the others won't even get it. Those won't even get it. Okay. To be faithful to God, first you and I need to be very sure about our identity and be secure in our identity. The question I asked, I think I asked earlier also is, what are the first words from the mouth of Jesus Christ when he came in the flesh? What are the first words that came from Jesus' mouth when he came in a body like this? It's recorded in Luke chapter 2. And verse 48 and 49. 
So when they saw him, this is Jesus and his parents had gone to Jerusalem. They for the so uh, for the festival, whatever, they came back three days later. They suddenly realized he's not in the company. The parents go back, they are upset with him, and they ask, When they saw him, where is he sitting? He's sitting in the temple. When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Why did you? It's the first words from the mouth of Jesus. And the first question that we have recorded is being asked by his mother and his father. And he makes a very clear demarcation over there. The mother is saying, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he's saying, but I am at my father's business. It's, 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 I am, I'm very sure when uh, Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, he got his cue from this verse, this portion. Because in Hamlet, what happens is, I've told you this before, Prince Hamlet was away when his father dies, and his father's brother marries his mother, and when he comes back, there is a ghost of his father that is coming every night. And the sentries see and they are scared. And one day the ghost tells, we need to talk to Prince Hamlet. So the father's ghost tells Prince Hamlet that my brother, the current king, poisoned me and killed me and married your mother. Now the question is, he's very upset, he's distraught. The question is, he's got this doubt. But the question is, how do you believe a ghost? It is very upset. So he realizes the only way he can trap is by having a play, a drama, and acting exactly like the way his father's ghost told him, and yet watch his uncle and see his reaction. Okay. So the play is going on, the uncle, the king, the queen are all sitting, and Hamlet is watching. But when this portion comes, when the poison is being poured and this thing, the uncle gets up and runs away from the hall. Okay. Nobody understands. Hamlet immediately understands his uncle has killed his father. Okay, the mother is very upset, and uh, no, and she comes, and there is a very interesting scene where the mother and the son is there, and the mother asks him these questions. Uh, Hamlet, thou hast thy father much offended. And Hamlet replies by saying, Mother, you have my father much offended. And she says, Come, come, you answer with an idle tongue. He says, Go, go, you question with a wicked tongue. And I'm sure he got it from here. Because here it says, Your father and I have sought you anxiously. He says, But you know I am at my father's business. Clear demarcation. My identity doesn't come from anything that is on earth. My ultimate identity comes from who my father in heaven is. Where does your identity come from? That will define everything else. Every decision you ultimately make in life will come from your identity. Who is my father? Who is my father? Do you know your real identity? Do you know who your real father is? 
if you know your real father is, then only you will know what your real father's business is. We are all out up to somebody's business. Either you are doing somebody else's business, your own business. But we have been all called to do our father's business. There are a lot of young people sitting here. They are all going to make choices in the years to come or even now career choices. But my question to you young people is, as you are making these choices, where does your identity come from? Because that will define your choices. Do we know who our real father is? Do you know what the father's business is? Because in Hebrews 3, we don't have to turn there, we know it very well. Scripture is, is Jesus was faithful to the whole house of God as his son. He knew who his father was. He knew who his father's business was. So he was faithful to the father and faithful to his father's business. And the first question he's being challenged is about his faithfulness. You are not faithful to us. He said, I was faithful to my father. I was. I was faithful to my master. How could you do this to us? But I didn't. I had to do this to us because I got to be faithful to my father. So God also begins there. He doesn't put us into a business first. He first says, be sure about your identity. In John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 and 13, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. That's the first right he gets. The first thing God does with us is not to give us a work, but give us an identity. You have received my son's work on the cross and you have received him into your life. You have the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of flesh. We were born of blood and flesh, so we have earthly parents. That's where our first identity comes from. First identity comes from. Our identity comes from flesh and blood. Our first identity is we are named by our parents. We belong to a particular family. But scripture says when you are born of the spirit, you were born by the will of God. You are born again. Your identity has changed. Galatians 3 and verse 26 will say, you are all sons and daughters, of course, through faith. In Christ Jesus. You are all sons and daughters of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus is just 12 years old. And his parents thought. He had really let their trust down. But he was being incredibly faithful. To his heavenly father. Identity is very very important. Otherwise we will be pulled in different directions. Different directions. There's so many things that is pulling. Family, clan, tribe, ethnicity, race, so many things. Nationalism, patriotism. These are all different terms meaning different things. Different, different things. This all will play in these last days, pulling people here, there, everywhere. Language, color, eyes. Even this. Hair. Because I grew among a set of people who had no hair. 
So suddenly that distinguished me among them and I became, I was pulled from the crowd because of only that. All these things pulled, then you are under pressure to become like them or to defy them. Everything. But Jesus was very clear and he wants us to be very clear. This is what your identity is. It should define your life. I'm a child of the living God. This is who I am. We need a constant in life. And a constant in life we need. And this constant God has given is He Himself. Therefore He says, I'm God who does not change. In Malachi 3.6, He says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. I don't change. I'm constant. There's only one thing constant in our life that never changes. That is God. We all need a constant in our life. That's only God. God does not change. So I need to be faithful to God because God does not change. I cannot be, I have to be faithful to my father on earth, but my father keeps changing. Today he might be fine. Tomorrow he might be off mode. So today when I do something wrong, he may be very strict because today is fine. Tomorrow he is off mode. I do the same thing. He either ignores me or thrashes me because there is nothing constant with human beings. We swing according to our moods. Or we keep changing as we acquire knowledge which could be wrong or true. But with God, there is no shadow of turning with him. So, when we look about faithfulness and we are being judged ultimately on the day of judgment about our faithfulness, the final yardstick, am I faithful to this constant in my life? That is God. Two, Matthew 5, 18, for assuredly I tell you, heaven and earth will pass away. When we look at heavens, we see all the stars, the sun, the moon, we look down on earth, we think these are constants. God says even that will pass away. It's not constant. All these things will pass away. But, not even one dot from my word, from my law will pass away. So we have two constants given to us. One is God, the person. Two, it is his word. God says, you need to be faithful to the person of God and to the ways of God. Because everything else is changing. Culture around us is evolving, changing, degrading. Degrading. The whole crisis that's happening in the final frontier in the United States of America is over that. The constitution was written by the founding fathers all based on this. But a new generation has come. A new generation of judges have risen by saying the constitution needs to be interpreted according to culture. But there is another set of judges who are sitting over there who are conservative who says the constitution cannot be judged according to culture. It has to be interpreted based on the constitution alone. That's the battle over America. Because ultimately, you need to have a constant. If you keep on changing what you believe according to culture, you will end up with nothing. Then what happens? Truth becomes subjective, what you feel. Truth is not subjective. Truth is a constant. That's why Jesus said, I am the truth. And he does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. That's where Christians struggle 
in contemporary culture. Why do Christians struggle in contemporary culture is because they do not have this constant. They are not fixed on these two constants. In the old mariners, when they sailed before all these modern gadgets came in, when they sailed in the day or night, they had one thing that was a constant that was called the northern star. The northern star. That was the star that was the constant. Every navigation looked at that. Compass and all is much later. Even compasses never worked properly. So if it was cloudy and overcast, the ships got lost. So they wait for the skies to clear and they see that one star, the northern star. In Shakespeare, in another play called Julius Caesar, when he bows, Caesar says, I am the constant. I am like the northern star. I do not change. And they kill him. They kill him. Okay. But our God is a constant. We need something so that as everything evolves around us, it's evolving, they say, progressive, but it is not, it is degrading. But you will be only able to see through the eyes of God. Young people, older people, everybody needs a constant. You need God as the constant person and his word as the constant because we need to know what do I have to be faithful to? Whom do I have to be faithful to? Everything. Everything. Because culture can put so much pressure on especially upon you young people. Bring so much pressure. And even figures of authority, God-ordained authority can put so much pressure. Mary seems to be hinting, you didn't honor us. Unwritten, unspoken hint is that, isn't it all honor your father and mother? A lot of people who come up with these arguments, we constantly hear, I constantly hear, constantly hear. People who don't go to church. People who are rebels against God will use these arguments. Isn't it all honor your father and mother? My question to them always is, who told you that you should honor your father and mother? You plucked it out from the air, this statement? Where did you get this from? Honor your father. No, it is written. Where is it written? Where is it written? Who told you it honor your father and mother? Oh, okay. So, God told honor your father and mother, right? So, when God says honor your father and mother, did he, did he mean honor your father and mother even if it means dishonor God who told you to honor your father and mother? No, it can't be, right? It can't be. That's why you read scripture carefully. When the new covenant comes, the same commandments are repeated. How is it repeated in Ephesians? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. In the Lord. Obey your parents, yes. In the Lord. Not outside the Lord. Because the parents themselves have the authority to demand obedience from the children. Why? Because God said so. Otherwise, there is no authority. The state cannot tell you. State cannot tell you. What can the state do? Can states will honor your father and mother? How are they going to appoint a policeman to every house? No. It is God. 
Is it written in the Indian constitution, honor your father and mother? No, it is not. It's not. It is not written. So where do you get this from? You get it from God. So ultimately, my faithfulness must be to God because otherwise, a God-ordained authority, a good, well-meaning mother like Mary also will say, if you really honored us, you wouldn't have left us. But he said, my father said, stay back. Your father is looking for you. No, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about my father. Stay back. Do my business. And I'm at my father's business. Wives, submit to your husband. That's what my husbands tell wives. Submit to your, you have to submit to me. The question is, why should she submit to you? Uh, why should she submit to me? Because, uh, I heard somebody say that. <laughs> My question to you, does the Indian Marriage Act say wife submit to your husband? No. Does it say? Doesn't say. No marriage act in, of the government says wife should submit to your husband. It doesn't say. Husband, why do you say wife should submit to, to your husband? I am not sure. I heard everybody say that. Who told you? Who told you? Oh, God told it, right? That is why scripture says in Ephesians 5, did I give it? Wives, submit your own husband's ass to the, the Lord who told you. My question to the man who doesn't submit to God, doesn't go to church, doesn't read his Bible, doesn't pray, doesn't do any of these things, what right do you have to tell your wife to submit to you? What right do you have? Who told you you could even tell your wife to submit to you? If she submits, it's a miracle. God will bless her. Because she's not being faithful to you. She's being faithful to the God whom she believes in. You're getting it? Because you have to ask these foundational questions. Where does my identity come from? Who am I faithful to? Who am I faithful to? That's why identity is very, very important. Who am I? I'm a child of God. Child of God. And I need to be faithful to my God. I need to be faithful to my God. Because the question is this. The world asks the wrong question. See, if you get, if you need the right answer, you need to ask the right question. You can't ask the wrong question and get the right answer. Can you? The world will ask you, usually, when you are in class 12, or entering class 12, or finishing class 12, waiting for the results of class 12, and all, they will ask you, or 10, they'll ask you this question, what do you want to be? Right? Jyoti. Jyoti, Deepika, they ask you, right? Sandana, Hepsipa, they'll all ask you, what do you want to be? But that's a wrong question. Because immediately you will say, oh... I am preparing for MSET. I am preparing for NEET. I am, but my answer sheet is not NEET. No. <laughs> Why are your answer like that? Because the question is, the question is, what do you want to be? So you don't get a right answer in life. The right question is, 
what does my heavenly father want me to be? Then only you will get to know what the heavenly father's business is for you. We ask the wrong questions. So we chase wrong answers all our life. Then we finish our life and we retire. We are empty and we have no satisfaction because we are chasing the wrong answer because we ask the wrong question. 30 years, the son of man, the son of God was absolutely content being a carpenter because for 30 years, the father said, that's my business. He could have been anything, anything. But he chose just to be a carpenter. Why? Because the father said, that's my business for you till 30. And at 30, sudden switch of profession from one spectrum to the other spectrum, from a carpenter to a rabbi, what a difference. It was not such a difficult thing for me or for Vijay from teaching in a classroom to teaching in a church was not, only subject changed. So it was not such a drastic change for us. But for Jesus, carpenter to rabbi. It's fine. It's still my father's business. I know where my identity comes from. My identity comes from my father. So I am not going to tell you what I want to be. I have asked my father, what do you want me to be? Whatever he says is fine by me. I am at my father's business. Young people, start getting on your knees before God and asking the Father, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? It's a very important question. Your father's business. Do you think Ambani sent his son son to Wharton Business School to work for Oracle? Do you think he sent his son to Wharton Business School to work for Oracle or for work for Reliance? For Reliance. That's why at 22 he was there at the launch of Reliance Geo. Just 22 year old boy. But he's at his father's business. Very clear. The father sent him to study to do his father's business. Let me ask you, what does education mean to you? What does education mean to you? Education is just a process of acquiring skills to serve my father, whatever he wants me to do. But we have changed education on its head. And when you are making your career choices, you are taking God completely out of the picture or including God into the picture by saying, this is what the business I want to do, so please help me through it. It is never usually the father's business. And what motivates you ultimately is how much will I own, how much will I earn, and how high I can go up in this world. And God says, that's not your father's business. Ask. Ask. And as parents too, we make the same choices for our children. So when people bring their A grade, A plus grade and all, and I don't get excited even if it's my own children, the reason is, are you at your father's business? So it doesn't matter. Would you be able to put away this and say, Father, here I am, these are my skills, I surrender at your feet, I'm willing to do whatever you tell me. It's fine. At your altar, because that's my father's business. I know my identity. My identity comes from the fact I'm in Christ. Therefore, I'm a child of God. And I am at my father's business. Get it very clear, young people, you will save a lot of pain in life. A lot of pain. 
That's what Jesus is telling his own parents. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Did you not know? Why are you upset? Christ was very clear both about his identity and about his work. My father, my father's business. And it didn't matter what it was, whether it was carpentry or whether it was teaching. Just both his father's business. The Old Testament pattern is very, very clear. Old Testament pattern is very clear. When Moses is sent to Egypt to set free, take out a set of miserable Slaves. But that's not how what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. In Exodus 4 and verse 22, this is what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. First of all, let him go. Let him go. But the first thing he is giving Israel, an identity. You are my children. Pharaoh, you have enslaved them for so many years. The backs are broken. Millions have been buried because of the deaths they have come through slavery. But today I'm telling you, Israel is my firstborn. Let him go. Let him go. He first gives them an identity. Then he will tell them, you will serve me. He first gives us all an identity. Never forget who you are. Because it will ultimately define what you do. Who you are. Once he brought them out after enormous plagues and judgments over Israel. Three months into the wilderness. He brings them to Mount Sinai. And then he makes this wonderful declaration based on their identity. What does he say? And Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. And tell the children of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. First thing I want to know is, know who you are. You are my children. I carried you from Egypt till here. I carried you and brought you to myself. I brought you to myself. Be sure about who you are. Then... Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, then you shall not, you shall be a special treasure of me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. All the earth is mine, all the people are mine. But you shall be above all of them on one condition. I am your father, you are the firstborn, obey me. Obey me. One thing I ask you of you, Israel, obey me. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. First thing I will tell you. You know what? Now that you know who you are, I will also tell you what you will do. You shall be a kingdom of priests. Who are priests? What do priests do? They serve God and they serve man on behalf of God. You shall be all priests. You'll all be serving me. And you will be also serving man on my behalf. So you may be a plumber, but you are a priest. Because you are God's plumber. You may be a carpenter, doesn't matter. You're God's carpenter. You may be an auto rickshaw driver, it doesn't matter. You are a priest because you're God's servant. You serve him and you serve his people in his ways. In his ways. Got it? This is what he tells them. Wow! This is what you are. 
Yes, this is what you are. You are my sons and daughters. You shall serve me. And then because of who your father is, you shall be a holy nation. You shall be a holy nation. Holiness is not an end in itself. All religions, people have, people have pursued holiness for holiness sake and fallen short. Why do you pursue holiness? Let me ask you this question. Why do you pursue holiness? Why should, why are you seeking holiness? The reason? Leviticus and New Testament both. You shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy. Why should you be holy? Because your father is holy. Why should you be holy? Because your father happens to be holy. He is your father. You are his children. So be holy as your father is holy. New covenant, 1st Peter 2.15 if I am right. Yeah? Yeah. And you sh- Yeah. Old and new, you have it there. But as he who called you is holy, you shall be holy in all your conduct because it is written... Be holy. God did not say, be holy. He said, be holy for I am holy. Be holy. I am holy. Suddenly everything comes into there. You are my sons and daughters. You shall be my priest, meaning you shall be about your father's business. And third thing he says, the way you conduct yourself, be sure. Try. Be holy. Because your father is holy. Are you getting it? That's why young people should ask this question, who am I? What does my father want me to do? When you make career choices, young ones, in your teenage, see education as an acquiring of skills just to serve your father. What does my father want me to do? Don't see it the way the world. The problem, the danger within the church is we see it the way the world sees it. How much will I earn? And the world is forever, forever, forever. Every newspaper, every year will say, campus placement, this one, Microsoft offered him this much, Google offered him this much, and we all start salivating. It's not how much you earn or how much you earn or what the title they give you. The companies are very smart. They know the weakness of the fallen man. They will give you a low salary and a high title. And you still feel good. What are you? I'm executive manager. How much do you make? Seven. My peon makes that much. They know the weakness of the fallen man. Young man, what are you? A carpenter. You're just a carpenter? Yes. Who's your father? Happens to be God. My identity doesn't come from my work. My identity comes from whose I am. Because my father is God, whatever he tells me to do becomes sacred for me. It is sacred because of who? Our father is. Because his business is sacred, therefore God says, you be holy in all your conduct. Because your father is holy. His business is holy. Because there is purpose. Understand, in father's business, the minute you understand father's business, suddenly all the criteria of the world goes out of the window. Because what is the purpose? Every business has a purpose. 
right? In the world, purpose of business is profit, period. Okay, government, you see, different governments when they come into being, like right now you will hear about Air India, they're planning to sell it, and Tata might buy it. First they took it from Tata, and now they're saying Tata to it, and Tata will buy it. Okay, what's the reason, why do they want to sell Air India? Because it's a loss-making carrier. They want to make profit. So the, even governments have started thinking like private companies. Government shouldn't think like private companies. Indian Railways, the primary purpose of Indian Railways is not to make profit. It is to move the Indians from point A to point B. It's a service-oriented industry. It is not profit. But we should change systems to make these systems profitable. But profit should never be the motive. Profit. Because if you look at profit as a motive, then what will we look at Indian Railways? It probably has around 15 lakh employees and related families, families, millions and millions and millions and millions of people are living and have a livelihood because of Indian Railways, not just because they move people from point A to point B alone. So when you look at it, you have to look in terms of human value. It's a very profitable industry. Though on their books, it may not have much profit. It's a real profitable industry because it gives livelihood to millions and millions of families. But if you want to look in terms of business, everything, that's what the world teaches us. And we parents teach our children, you know, you need to go for this because it is profitable. God says no. Start looking differently. He says, yes, I understand profit. I understand profit. I am also a businessman. I all, he told the one fellow with one talent, why did you hide it? You could have given it to the money, cha- to the treasury and given me with interest back. I am a businessman. I am also interested in profit. But when I talk about profit, where I place value and where you place value is different. Where does God put his value? We look at three verses I have picked. Matthew 10, 28. Okay. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In the world, premium is put on the body. God puts premium on the soul. What does he put the premium on? On the soul. Next verse, three verses I have given. What profit is to a man if he gains the whole world? Wow. And loses his own soul. And the third one. And this is the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. What is the gospel? Is the gospel the gospel of saving of bodies or saving of souls? Souls. God says, in my kingdom, profit is based on souls. In the kingdom of man, profit is based on the, on bodies. So change the way you look at things. That will make it all a difference because the question you will have to ask yourself will, whole day I was concerned, worried about my body. I didn't give attach much importance to my soul. God says your values are misplaced. Values are misplaced. You see, salvation of souls at the core of every business of the Father, at the core is, it should be 
directed towards the salvation of souls. So you might be in Oracle or Satyam or any of these companies. You may be an IT professional, but the focus of your life is, I have to do God's work in God's ways so that my life becomes a testimony that goes forth into the salvation of souls around. Because that's my father's business. Mom, you and dad came on a pilgrimage, but I know my father's business is not pilgrimage. It is the salvation of souls. That's why I'm here while you went. You came, did your rituals, and you went back. But I'm standing here, and I'm talking to all of them. Because my father's business is not rituals. My father's business, salvation of souls. Ecclesiastic 12 and verse 7. The dust will return to the earth as it was. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. Do you know your body will go to the earth? Yet your soul will go up. Do you see that? What is valuable in God's sight is not the body. It is your soul. One will go down. The other will go. So God says, Are you really concerned about your spirit? Are you really concerned about the souls of those around you? Is that how you decided to make career choices saying, Oh Lord, I am here. I surrender everything into your hand. You make a choice for you, Lord. In your business of saving souls, where do you see me best? Use me there. That's fine with me. If it's CEO of a company, fine. If the carpenter in a village, fine. Both fine, Father. Because I am at my father's business. My father's business. This is the seeking of righteousness and his kingdom. Once you are in your father's business, there is an enormous security that comes into your life. Because when you are about your father's business, along with it comes the father's power, his presence and his provision. Otherwise you will always have to chase these three. Oh, I have to, I am not able to get a breakthrough in my, I am not, I am cracking my head. Why are you cracking your head? Because you are not at your father's business. I'm not saying hard work. Hard work. Jesus was a hard worker. You will have to work hard and all. But the breakthroughs comes. Why? Because you're at your father's business. Are you concerned about your soul? Are you concerned about your body? If it's all about the body, the simple question. What to eat? What to drink? What to wear? What house to buy? What car to choose? What model? What about your soul? Did you ever ask, what does my soul want to eat? What does my soul want to drink? What is the covering my soul is comfortable in? Which house will my soul be comfortable in? About Jesus, it is written, zeal for my father's house consumed me. Does that house consume you? Or you are already looking at two bedroom, three bedroom, no? Manikonda or Gachibauli are already planning it all out. Did you talk about a house for your soul? God said very clearly, take care of the soul. I will take care of your body. But if you take care of the body, you will ultimately lose your soul, even if you end up owning the whole world. Jesus was always trying to turn the attention of the people from the physical to the spiritual. From the temporary 
to the eternal while the devil is always trying to change our focus from what is spiritual to the physical to what is eternal to the temporary that is why the first question he asked jesus is if you are the son of god why don't you make the stones into bread all the questions is to take his attention from the eternal to the temporary from the spiritual to the physical and jesus says no i very clearly know who i am and what my business is it's the eternal it's not the temporary as long as i keep the eternal the temporary will follow my father will take care of it do we see any ministry that brings its entire focus on the temporal and the physical is always in error because our ministry is aimed of turning people back to the eternal not to the temporal our duty that's our duty the only thing is that even new trucks and buses how big it is has got power steering but from the pulpit the pastors feel like these old trucks which had no power steering where you see he has to turn like this poor fellow now it is left you sure 60 ton vehicle is driving with one hand because of power steering but what happens pulpit there is no power steering people go into the world six days the world comes full of carnality and every sunday trying to turn them back to god all this it is very simple age of the apostles seven days a week they gathered for the apostles teaching boy peter and paul is turning it like with one finger tiu tiu power steering but can we change the word no we can't we can't can't see honestly i'm telling you every time when i not here but outside my heart breaks over the poverty of christians real physical poverty of christians especially in this state it is so sad that it is heartbreaking when you see the poverty and poverty is not a virtue god never said thou shall be poor he said the gospel is to the poor so that they will know who their father is and the supplies will come god will keep just keep focusing on the kingdom of god but the problem is these things will not come until we started applying the righteousness of his kingdom into every i was telling pastor vijay when i don't think about it but i'll say okay poor huts poor huts you see everywhere poor huts they live in this little thatched hut with a tarpaulin over it this thing and they are christian they have worship everything but my issue i told pastor vijay is is this i would i cannot speak telugu i would like to go to tell them but the problem is until they apply righteousness they are not going to get out of poverty why because in the evening you will see they have pulled the line from the main line to their house and they are stealing electricity it's going to work for you no it's not going to work for you and it is not even free because i know how the system here works every month that fellow the electrician electrician will come to house 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 and take his hafta and go so now you are stealing and now you are bribing and you are saying hallelujah god doesn't look at your poverty he wants to bring you out of poverty bakat but he says be righteous be righteous be righteous heartbreaking but this is the truth it's a truth it's not a big deal big group 
grew up, there were places, you ask a mom over there, one year we were in a place, there was no electricity. Big deal if you don't have electricity. So what, life was the best. I look back at my entire life of 52 years, that was the best year in my life. Why? Because there was no electricity. Enjoyed life. Went to sleep early, woke up early. Is God moved by poverty? No. He is moved by our zeal, our seeking after righteousness. That's why he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Apply righteousness. Apply righteousness in each, each, each area. Because why? Because we are the sons and the daughters of the father who said the scepter of my kingdom is righteousness. It's not how much marks you got. It's how you got the marks that matters to God. God is not. He knows you are weak in this subject. He knows it all. He's looking. Are you working hard? Are you honest the way you work? Are you obedient at the place where you are staying? Are you doing an exam honestly? Is there integrity in the way you are doing? He says, give your marks to me. I'll take care of your life. Your marks don't matter. I'll open doors for you which no man can shut. No man can shut. It's not going to be easy in a world system that is absolutely corrupt and going more and more and more corrupt. But God says, stand there alone. It's not going to be easy when you're going to face enormous pressure from your own peer group. Do you think it was easy for Daniel and the four, three friends who stood up and said, please give us vegetables? All our princes of Judah. What do you think? You're smarter than us? What do you think? You know how in the colleges and schools they bully you? Are you, you think they were not bullied? Mocked and scorned. But God says, can you stand there alone for that in your classroom and be a Daniel and say, it's okay. I know who I am. And I am at my father's business. I just didn't come to study math. I came to study math God's way. It was not easy for them. It was very difficult for them. But they stood their ground. That is why God prospered them. That's why God prospered them. God did not prosper them because they were intelligent or smart in the exam. That's the king who tested them in that. God prospered them because these three, four men sought the kingdom and the righteousness as students. Students. It's the only way God can prosper. That's what God is telling Joshua, I am with you. As I was with Moses, I am with you. Don't forget who is with you. Your identity comes from who is with you, who is walking with you, from me. Two, don't turn to the left or to the right. I have given you the law, walk in it. You will be prosperous. You will be prosperous. Don't worry. Prosperity comes from me. Success comes from me. You don't chase prosperity. You don't chase success. You be careful about two things. One, walk with me. Two, do what I tell you. That's all I ask you. Rest I will take care of. It's going to be a tough battle. Joshua, you will fight many, 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 many battles in life. But I promise you victory. I promise you victory over anger. I promise you victory over lust. I promise you victory upon every battle you fight in the new covenant. I promise you victory if you know who you are and if you listen to his voice. Victory is guaranteed. The question is, do we know who we are? That's the question. Do we know who we are? Because righteousness doesn't come just like that. If you want righteousness, righteousness is the result of something. 
righteousness in a fallen world is a result of judgment. Oh, I want justice. Where do you get justice? You get justice in the court. Right? I have been offended. I have been mistreated. I have been hit. I have been stolen. You go to the court and the lawyer argues for you. Bringing all the law over there. Finally, the judge makes a judgment. You receive justice and you know Righteousness has been restored. Righteousness is a result of a judgment that brings justice. So God says, judge yourself daily in the light of the law that I have given you so that justice and righteousness is established in every area of your life. Constantly do it. Why? That's the kingdom. The rest will follow. Because people always say, what does it mean seeking after the kingdom and the righteousness, as God says? That means judging yourself. Judging in the way I did this, in the way I spoke this, in the way, in the way, my motives. Keep judging. Was my motive right? Judge yourself. Simple example, very clear example. Very simple, but very clear Wife crying out to the Lord, Lord, I pray, I need a breakthrough in my marriage. My husband is alcoholic, he comes, he beats me up. Lord, Lord, give me a breakthrough, 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 breakthrough. But God is not hearing, why? Prayer is wonderful. But your motive is wrong. You are praying not because you are concerned about your soul. You are concerned about the suffering you are going through. The minute you change your this thing, Lord, I am fine with that. I'm okay with all this, Lord, but my cry is, Lord, this man shouldn't die drunk and go to hell. My cry, Lord, touch his soul. God says, I heard you. Lord, this woman is forever provoking me. She's having child after child after child. Give me also a child. Give me a child. Very religiously goes to Shiloh and cries out to God. God doesn't hear her now. Your prayer is good. Every woman wants a child, but I'm not going to answer you. Because your motive is wrong. And one day she says, Lord, you give me a child. Forget about Elkanah. Forget about Penina. I'm not even mentioning them. You give me a child. I promise you, I'll give the child back to you. God said, I heard you. Your motive is right now. Well, your prayer was right. Motive was wrong. Now your prayer and your motive both are right. I give it to you. Give it to you. That's why God says, judge constantly. Judge constantly. And to judge, I need knowledge. Knowledge of the law. So every judge who is appointed as a judge has to be a lawyer. Has to be a lawyer. So when when they heard this one vacancy in the US Supreme Court and so many names were being thrown around, who will, who will, who will President Trump nominate? Did you see any non-lawyer being thrown around names? No, everyone. Everyone was either being a special prosecutor or a federal prosecutor. All the names that I were throwing is either a sitting judge or a prosecutor or who was a prosecutor. Because to be a judge, you need to know the law. How can you judge without the law? God says, I've given you the law. Not to judge your neighbor, to judge yourself. Know the law. Why do I need to know law? To judge myself. Why do I need to judge it? So righteousness of God can be established in our lives and in our ways. The rest is very easy. Those things God says will be added unto you. At the end of David, his last day, there's an incredible charge David gives to Solomon. Okay. David had 
around eight wives, if I'm right. Many sons. He was richer than Father Abraham. Eight wives, many sons. But David could only speak to one son. You could have many sons. But you cannot speak to all sons. God has many sons, but he cannot speak to all sons. He can only speak to the son who will listen. Or the daughter who will listen. David had many sons. But he could only speak to one son. That son's name was Solomon. Because the mother had brought him up in such a way. Always to honor his father. So God could speak to that son. And David will speak to that son. Listen to what he says in First Kings chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. To that one son. On and of the days so David drew near that he should die. He charged Solomon his son saying. I will go the way of all the earth. Be strong. Therefore, and prove yourself a man. I'm going. Body down. Spirit who knows where. I'm going. Now, prove yourself and be a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, not the charge of your father. Charge of the Lord your God. To walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper. In all that you do. He's telling us a father. He's not telling him, you see, I have put, army is so well trained, we have these many soldiers, the treasury is full, I've stored gold and silver, trained, there is peace, I have defeated all the enemies, so son, be cool. He didn't say any of those things. He said, son, I'm telling you one thing. You want to prosper? Don't look at what I have done. I will tell you what you need to do. This is what you need to do. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne. Only one thing. Walk in truth. Walk before me. Keep my statutes. Keep my commandments. Keep my testimonies. God says, your son will prosper. Now take a closer look. Okay. Now this is, now we'll take a closer look of what he said, we'll turn to Second Samuel, chapter 23. Good to study what he said, because, okay, these are the last words of David. Wow. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised upon high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Wow. Can you imagine, you can actually stand on your last day and speak about yourself and God is saying, speak it because I am speaking through you. This is true about you. Woo! We would tremble to say anything about ourselves like this. People say, but they don't know God. But a man who knows God and it is written as scripture, thus says David who? Son of Jesse, a little man from Bethlehem. Son of Jesse. What is he? A cattle owner. But, thus says the man, raised on high. He was a man of Bethlehem. He was the son of Jesse, a simple boy. But he was raised on by high. The anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. Did you see? The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. What did he say? The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. Two things he first says there. The spirit of God has spoken to me. The spirit of God has spoken through me. What did he say? 
He who rules over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. Put these two together. Anyone who rules, even you want to rule over yourself, you must rule in justice, in righteousness, and in the fear of God. Bring these two together. We want justice. But there is, like Isaac said about Abimelech, I saw no fear of God in this place. We have lost the fear of God. Yet we want justice. God says these two cannot be separated. If you ever will become a righteous man, you will also be a man who fears God. Fears God. Righteousness, justice and the fear of God. And he says, if you have these two and you walk in this, he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. Morning without clouds, a cloudless clear sky. When the sun rises, you see it's brilliant. It is bright, not like today. But like the usual days, bright, light like the cloudless morning, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. What does God say? He will have both light and life. Because he has both righteousness and the fear of God. Fear of God. You have to have both. You have to have both. Do we have? Do we have fear of God? Do we seek righteousness that way? Light and life? It's a result of this. It's a picture of fruitfulness and blessings. It's an outflow of a life that is constantly seeking righteousness and the fear of God. Even those who are outwardly righteous have no fear of God. Look at the way they talk. They have no fear of God. Even angels have fear of God. When they are fighting demonic spirits, they have fear of God. The Lord rebuke you. Do we have fear of God? How casual we are in with the way we talk. Fear of God. You are so casual about things of life. Why? Because there is no fear of God. No fear of God. It's an outflow. It's an outflow. This is a result. He shall be like light. A cloudless morning. And like the tender grass springing out. He will have both light and he will have life. Ask. As young people ask, how do you respond to authority? At home, at school, on the road? How do you respond? So casual. Why? Why? Why is it so? It's because we have no fear of God fear of God. Something to be asked and to be received. Lord, give me. It's about Jesus. It is written. He delighted in the fear of God. Delighted. When we hear these things and honestly, when we hear these things and we see scripture like this, God says, I am looking. I haven't changed. You're thinking that God changed with the culture. God says, I don't. I'm still the same. When you talk about this to men, 
Yesterday I said, I told you all want to hear from God. Want to hear from God? You really want to hear from God? How do you hear from God when the message is going on? You take up a call. How will you ever hear from God? How will you ever hear? You want to hear from God? You never come to church on time. Never. And you want to hear from God? You want a breakthrough? There's no fear of God. No fear of God at all. When you, ladies, when you hear, when you read from First Peter chapter 3, you should be like Sarah who called her, Abraham, her Lord, her master. Said, hmm. No fear of God, even to think this is scripture. This is something that God has written. No fear of God. We play around with the word of God without realizing heaven and earth will pass away, but this, as soon as those post, those notices came on traffic places saying, camera, everybody is low. What happened? What happened? What, what made the difference? That one camera made all the difference? No, it's not the camera. Suddenly you realized the law has eyes. That's what made the difference. Law was always there, but you thought the law doesn't see. And we act the same way with God. When God says, the God of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. They go, it's nice, thank you. When I sleep, I know you are away. God says, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. What I meant is the law never sleeps. That's why God says, I will have mercy upon whom. I choose mercy. Because I see you. I see you. I see your heart. I see you. I see your motivation. I see you. King Hamlet, Prince Hamlet knows his father was murdered by his father's brother. He's so angry. He wants to kill his uncle. He takes his sword. He hears his uncle. He's behind the curtain. He's about to kill his uncle when he hears. What is uncle doing? Uncle is crying out, mercy, God, mercy, God, mercy, mercy, mercy. He says, I will not kill him. Because if I kill him when he's crying for mercy, he will go to heaven. I will kill him when he's sinning so that he goes to hell. I don't want him mercy. No mercy for my father's murderer. I'll kill him. But not now. Not at a good time like that's good for him. I'll kill him when it's good for me. Choices. Heart. Motives. God looks at all that. Enormous pressure from every side. And God says, learn from my son. Learn from my son. He was very clear. I know who my father is. I know what his business is and I know exactly how he wants me to run his business because he too is a businessman. He looks for profit, but he counts profit in terms of souls. Not what attachments he got on the body. What did I eat? What did I drink? Do you see the spread on my table? Do you see my house? Please visit my house. Do you see my curtains? Why is nobody asking me where we got the curtains from? Please ask me. Please ask me. Because I want to tell you it is designer curtains. Nobody asks. 
Oh, I have visitors in my house. I have dusted all my trophies and kept. Please ask me, please ask me, please ask me. Who got it? Where you got it? Where are souls? Where are souls? Honestly, where are souls? Her father has a business. And he's a businessman. He's entrusted us with his business. And he says, when you come back, I want an account. And I want profit. The only thing I will ask you is this. Were you faithful? Were you faithful? Very faithful. That's all. You don't have to do things and do evangelism and all. Just be faithful. Faithful. Little things. Faithful. There's a purpose. That purpose defines everything else in our life. I am at my father's business. Where you want me, dad? What you want me to do? It's fine with me. I just want to do your business. And it is the salvation of souls. Salvation of souls. It's not a private company which is looking for profit in bodies because that is Babylon. It's a trafficker of souls. We are not trafficker of souls. We are after the redemption of souls. Because we know what our father's purpose is. The portion which I gave you first, which you showed, First Peter 3, 9, right? That one I gave you? That is the father's purpose and we will close. Yes? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing. Any should perish, but that all should come to ruin. He doesn't want anybody to perish. No one to perish. No one to perish. No one to perish. No one to perish. That's why you should be in your offices, in your classrooms, in your college. Now that you know the truth, Purpose was redeeming souls whom God loves. This is it. Because your father, my father, is not willing that any should perish. Not willing. Who are called to pray? Be faithful in prayer. Those who are called to generate money in the father's business, give cheerfully. All this is different, different gifts within the body. Be faithful to what you have been called. Be faithful. It's a gift of God. Like we say in Greek, Midas touch. Whatever you touch turns into gold. You say, what's happening? I am smart. God says, you are not smart. I have gifted you to produce for my kingdom. Keep giving it away. Instead you start building mansions for yourself. God says, you are not faithful. You are not faithful. That's not what I told you. Read Romans 12. I have given you the grace, the gift to generate wealth. For whom? For your father's business. There's no end there. This is your particular gift. Keep on giving. I'll keep on adding so that you will be counted faithful because you did what you were called to do. Know what your father's purpose is. Know what it is. Everybody else doesn't have the same purpose. Know what your father's purpose is. Be faithful to your father's purpose. On that day, that's all you'll be counted. Very faithful. Lord, I did not go there. Lord, I did not go there. Lord, I did not go there. He says, neither did my son. Lord, 
Why I died at 50? He said, he died at 33. He died at 33. He didn't heal all the sick. He didn't deliver all the demon possessors. He didn't preach all the lands. But at the end, he said, I finished. I finished. That's all. He was faithful to what I told him to do. And he also prayed in the Father, I have brought glory to your name by completing the work. You completed your work? Yes. How long have you worked? Three years. You compl- Yes, I did. Faithful? Yes. In the work? Yes. Faithful in the way you did it? Yes. How do you know? Because I brought glory to my Father's name. Awesome. Awesome. That's all it that matters. Yes, we were not faithful. God says, start growing in faithfulness. Those seasons of ignorance, I have forgotten. Doesn't matter. I am a father. I am a father. You know as fathers how to give good things to your children. You know, if your child was naughty and was rude or something, you won't tell him, you are not going to get dinner today. Do you tell that? No. He'll say, apologize, eat your dinner and go. What will say? Apologize, eat your dinner and go to your room. We'll never say no dinner for you. God says, I know you. You are ignorant. You didn't know. Now that you know, apologize, repent, and be faithful. Keep on pursuing that, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you. Six months we have finished. This week by Saturday, the seventh month begins. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. And another six months of journey left before this year is over. Examine us, test us, teach us, show us that we might be considered more and more faithful to you, to your ways, to your work as we move along, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Commit young and old into their hands, especially the young ones, Lord. They are on their journey. They just started their journey, Lord. I pray you will help them to put away things that cause us unfaithfulness. Empower them that they would walk with you faithfully. That all the things in their heart, they would put away knowing their true identity, that they are sons and daughters of the living God. And all they have to do is do the Father's business. Touch them, Lord. Deliver them. Heal them. Heal the broken hearted. Heal the broken hearted. Let them know you are their eternal Father. You are the eldest brother. You are the waiting spouse. Every relationship on on earth that defines us, our identity, you are that person. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. You brought us safely, we know you will reach us safely. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.